The good man is the teacher of the bad, and the bad man is the lesson of the good. If I ask you to guess where the saying comes from, what would you say? The Bible, perhaps even the sayings of Jesus in the Gospels. It sounds quite biblical, but you'd be mistaken. It is, in fact, one of the sayings of Lao Tzu, the legendary founder of Taoism, who's believed to have lived in the 6th century before Jesus was born. Taoism began in China, and Chinese customs and the Chinese worldview are deeply rooted in Taoism. After years of persecution and suppression, today it's one of the five religions recognised in China, with hundreds of millions of followers. But isn't it rather fanciful to try and construct any parallels between the ancient Chinese faith and Christianity, which began in a completely different part of the world, with its roots in the Jewish tradition? I'm Alison Hilliard, and in this edition of Things Unseen, I'll be exploring whether or not Taoism can shed any light on Jesus and the Christian faith. At its heart, Taoism is about the Tao, which is usually translated as the Way, which is like a system of guidance. It's a religion of unity and opposites, yin and yang, which sees the world filled with forces that need to be kept in balance. My guest today is Martin Palmer, an environmentalist and religious historian with a particular interest in China and its faith traditions and sacred places. He's also the author of a book called The Jesus Sutras, Rediscovering the Lost Religion of Taoist Christianity. Welcome, Martin. Thank you, Alison. We've heard in previous editions of Things Unseen about Jesus the Jew and Jesus the Muslim, but isn't the Tao of Jesus just one step too far? At one level, you could argue yes, because there is no evidence, as far as we know, of any interaction between first century Judaism and early Christianity and Taoism. Yet what they share, and you've already indicated this, is the notion that there is a way, there is a path that can be followed that will take the follower, those who take the path, beyond the purely material, the purely pragmatic nature of this world and will reveal to them their place within a much bigger story, a greater narrative. Of course, we have in Christianity Jesus saying, I am the way. So does that give us an immediate parallel? Yes, I think it does. Other than that in Taoism, there isn't really a figure who says, follow me. There is much more those who are like signposts to the way. And the way the Tao in Chinese thought is not a divine force as such, it's a cosmic force. It's the way the universe actually operates. And the purpose of Taoism and the purpose of its great teachers like Lao Tzu and Zhuang Tzu and Lie Tzu is to indicate that path, to show you the path. And that path is about, in a sense, playing your role within this extraordinary cosmic balancing act between yin and yang, yin being dark, female, wet, the earthly forces of the universe, and yang being the fiery, the heavenly, the male forces of the universe. And these two forces are locked in combat with each other. And if they could, they would try and wipe each other out. But you may know, and and listeners may know, the yin-yang symbol, which has the black and the white halves, but each of them has a dot of the other color within them. And that is the idea that Actually, just as yin reaches its greatest strength, for example, yin is autumn and winter. And just as you think, you are never, ever going to see the sun again or be warm, there comes a morning where it's just that little bit warmer and there's no frost. And that's when the yang principle is beginning to come back. However, in Taoist belief and in general Chinese philosophical belief, 
our role as human beings is to keep that balance. Because these two forces, they're not good or bad. They just are natural forces of light and dark, male and female, etc. But keeping that balance is the role of human beings. Now, that is very different from the Christian perspective, other than I think I would argue that Jesus presents us with choices. Matthew 25, the story of the sheep and the goats, absolutely clear. If you do good acts, you will enter the kingdom of heaven because you're in tune with the way of God. If you do bad acts, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will go to hell. So whilst we perhaps put it in quite stark terms in Christianity and within Judaism and Islam, in Taoism, I think it's more subtle because it's not a divine force. It doesn't judge you. But if you don't follow the right path, you'll be simply out of tune with the way the universe goes and you will become irrelevant. Tell us a little bit about another key element of Taoism, Wu Wei. You've already mentioned yin-yang, which Mm. many people would recognise. Well, Wu Wei... (laughs) Thank you for asking that question, Alison. It's probably one of the most difficult terms to translate in Chinese. The simplest and yet most complex translation of it is actionless action, which to a Western, engaged, activist world sounds like abnegation of responsibility, sounds as though you're just saying, oh, well, what's going to be will be. But if we go back to that principle that there is, as it were, a cosmic flow of life, which is the Tao, and that if we are in tune with that cosmic flow, we can enhance and contribute to it simply by being in tune But if we're not in tune with it, then we disrupt it like a big rock in the middle of a river that makes the river quiver all around it, but the river still flows on and eventually will wear away the stone, which is why Taoism is also called the watercourse way. Then you have this notion, if you like, that if we can be in the flow, then we don't have to do anything more. If you can, as it were, position yourself to be going with the force of the Tao, then you will contribute to that force. You aren't making it happen. You're just not making it not happen. What about in terms of how the teaching of Taoism is got across? And I'm thinking of the use of paradox in both faiths. I mean, if you take paradox, it's often used in the uh, the Christian faith. Jesus uses it many times. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Now, there are many examples of the use of paradox in Taoism. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step is a lovely one. Do you see a similarity here and how the message is got across, if you like. Taoism absolutely revels in paradox. And on that score, I think it is immensely close to Christianity, much closer to Christianity than I would say to Judaism or Islam. My feeling has always been that Christianity doesn't really give us many answers. It presents us with a number of paradoxes, a number of incredible metaphors to play with until they break. And you go beyond that metaphor and realize, if you like, the depth of what is actually being discussed or you're being asked to engage with. That's exactly what Taoism does. I translated Zhuangzi, who is the second most powerful Taoist figure, 4th, 5th century BC. An amazing character. And when I was translating it, there were points at which I was just crying with laughter because this man takes language and pushes it until it collapses. And I think that's what Jesus does. So if Jesus does that, in your view, is it beyond the bounds of imagination that Jesus might have been influenced by Taoism or might have been exposed to the teachings of Taoism? There is 
no historical evidence that we can point to of any such influence. However, we do have this extraordinary phenomenon around the world in the 6th, 5th century BC, where you have Lao Tzu, Confucius, Confuze, you have the Buddha, you have the prophetic tradition in Israel, Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and so forth. You have the Greek philosophers. You have this extraordinary explosion of completely radical thinking that departs completely from what was before. So radical and different and new, but also something that challenges the legalistic authorities of the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, Taoism in particular arises to confront a particularly tough version of Confucianism called legalism, which said humanity is bad, there is nothing good in humanity at all, and therefore the role of the state and the ruler is to impose laws and to impose penalties for breaking those laws that have no mercy, because if you offer mercy, people will exploit it. And Taoism comes up with this very powerful teaching, which Zhuangzi spells out most beautifully, of original nature that we are actually originally good. We come out of this cosmic world of balance and interaction. And what happens is, yes, of course, that goodness can become clouded and befugged and stained and grubby. But underneath, it's always good. And they were absolutely going against the teaching of the legalists. And I think one of the things I've always struggled with as a Christian, and Taoism freed me to some extent from this curse, and I would use that word, is that if you read the teachings of Jesus, we are created in the image of God. We are good. There is an original nature that is a partaker of the divine to some degree, or is at least a gift of the divine. And the notion of original sin, which only emerges in the 5th century AD with Augustine of Hippo, I think is a dreadful, dreadful curse on Christianity, because it's not there in the teachings of Jesus. It's not there in the understanding of what happens in the Garden of Eden for either Judaism or Islam. It's not there for the Orthodox churches. And in China, the idea that you were stained and bad from the beginning is what they set out to oppose. And I think that's exactly what Jesus was doing as well. I suppose where the two faiths did come together was when Christianity came to China in the 7th century. And I know that you've done a lot of work on some fascinating documents from the time which you've called the Jesus Sutras. Tell us a little bit about those documents and what they tell us about Jesus and how they portray Jesus. First and foremost, I come back to this thing of original nature, that when Christianity was trying to translate what it means to be human... They use the Taoist phrase, and it is only a Taoist phrase, it's not found in Buddhism or Confucianism, of our original nature. Secondly, for the Taoists, the death of Christ as a, a cosmic crime is less important than the fact that Christ is then able, having overcome death, to enable us to go beyond death. And there's a very beautiful phrase in one of the Jesus Sutras where it talks about the death of Christ. It goes something like this. So the Messiah gave up his life in order that the whole world could see that life is as precious and as vulnerable as a candle flame. And this idea that Christ is a witness to the fragility of the world, that does ring a chord with Taoism, because Taoism, one of the great things of the stories of Taoism, the stories of Taoism are always about the weak. 
They're about the beggars. They're about the outcast. They're about the people who are without food, who are without power, because they set themselves against those who had power. And in that sense, very similar to Jesus' teachings. Is this the time, though, that if you like, you get a fusion between Christianity and Taoism, mm. or you get Christianity being presented with a particular Taoist flavour or Eastern flavour? Yes, you do. And if I may, I'll just read something from the texts. So this comes from a liturgy called Taking Refuge in the Three in the Trinity. Great holy lawgiver, which is Jesus, you bring us back to our original nature, and the souls that are saved are countless. Divine compassion lifts them up from the dust, redeeming them from the saddened realm of ghosts. So they're very much a tie-in with Taoism, that you want to get beyond this place of lostness, which is where the ghosts are. Ghosts are those who are not in the flow of the Tao, who have fallen by the wayside, very often because there's no one to say prayers for them. And the idea of going back to your original nature, rediscovering who you really are, I think that's a rather beautiful description of what salvation is. Salvation is this sense of going back and discovering the true you, getting rid of the layers of sin and stupidity and foolishness and error and so forth. And then there's another rather lovely image of, of Jesus. And again, it's about this idea of how do you progress beyond the barriers that we create in order to be, again, part of the cosmic way, the way of God or the way of the Tao. And there's a lovely story that's told in the sutras of a man who is very sick and his friends want to bring him to this healing mountain. And they bring him to the foot of the healing mountain, but they can't get him up the mountain because he's so heavy and so difficult and so complex. And then someone creates a ladder so that they can climb and bring the sick man to the place of healing. And the story ends... Then the compassionate knowing one, Jesus, came like the close friend and taught them with skill and sincerity so they knew that he is the scaling ladder and the steps cut in stone by which they can find the true way, free of their weight forever. It's a very powerful, very Chinese image of sin being taken away, of that wonderful phrase in the Gospels, come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden, that sense that Jesus will carry you forward. I'm hearing you speak in quite moving terms about how this is enriching your own Christian faith and your own faith as a Western Christian. Has it enabled you to see Jesus with fresh eyes or has it made it easier for you to reconcile difficult issues in the Bible of well, good and evil? <laughs> yeah, that's the bigger one. It's not so much my issue with Jesus as it is, I think, for many of us who seek to follow Christ, the problems of what the church tells us. The thing that I found most helpful is dealing with the sort of the dualism within Christianity, that there is good and there is bad, and you are either good or you're bad. We have built so many oppositions, black and white. One of them has to be good, the other one has to be bad, or at least, if not bad, less good than the very good. And I've always found that deeply complex and deeply difficult to deal with. And, and again, if I look at Jesus's teachings, he deliberately chose to be with the people who weren't considered good. And I always find it very confusing that we had these absolutes. And Taoism showed me that you don't need to have absolutes. Yin and yang are neither moral nor immoral. They just are. Now, if there is too much yin, 
for example, too much rain and you get floods, that's bad. But that's because it's in excess. And so you have to rebalance it. But again, if you have too much yang, you get droughts. And so you have to balance that. So there is nothing inherently bad or inherently good. It just is. It's the use you make of it that makes something positive or negative. But there are moral absolutes in the Christian face. I mean, there are moral absolutes in the commandments. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Christianity is based on some moral absolutes. So maybe... No, no, it isn't. Christ dissolved those. He said there are only two laws. Love God and love your neighbour. There is no absolute in that other than that there is no absolute. And I think one of our problems is that because we've inherited the Greek view, which was also very much this sort of dualism, plus one of our greatest theologians, St. Augustine of Hippo, had been a Manichaean who were absolutely, there was a cosmic battle between the good God and the bad God. We've divided the world up and felt that we've got to legislate for it rather than live it. I'd go back to the wonderful phrase of St. Francis who said, go into the world and preach the gospel. And if you've got no other option, use words. In other words, it's the deeds of Christianity. I go back, Matthew 25 again, the prodigal son. All the great stories are not about law codes. They're about the triumph of love and compassion over those things that human beings have created that carve up the world that God has made into our side and the other wrong side. And Taoism has never done that. But I suppose you could open yourself to the accusation that you were diluting the essence of Christianity itself by focusing on the lens of Taoism. So the essence of Christianity being redemption, being salvation, and that that is the central core of Christianity and that you're having a rather pick-and-mix approach by taking the pieces of Taoism that are very useful. You could say that, but I think it's a case of stripping back I think it's a case of saying, what have we allowed to accrue around the figure of Christ and his teachings? What have we sought to construct humanly that perhaps gets in the way of the way? And that if we can find again the path that Jesus indicates that, again, you see, I go back to the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, there is no reference to Jesus whatsoever. There is no reference to original sin. There is no reference to, I would say, probably nine-tenths of what Christianity as a structure tells you to believe. And this is the prayer that Jesus taught us. You could say that prayer with just changing one or two words in Taoism. And in fact, in the last part of the 20th century, a Taoist sect emerged as a result of my book, Jesus Sutras, and said, ah, at last we can tell you, we are a Christian tradition that went underground when there was a big persecution in the ninth century AD in China, and the Taoists took us in. And we have reworked the core teachings of Christianity so that they sound like Taoism. And their version of the Lord's Prayer, which is also a version that we found in the Jesus Sutras, and the teachings of Matthew, many of which we found in the Jesus Sutras, are this wonderful, liberating telling of the joy of finding that you are on the right path not the punishment that will come to you if you don't. You can stand in the way of the Tao if you wish, but eventually it'll just wash you away. It won't condemn you, it won't damn you, it won't send you to hell. It just will wash you away. And the path, therefore, is the important thing, not all the superstructures along the side of the path that people have built to tell you whether you're doing it right or wrong. 
I think we'd be wrong to give the impression, though, that there weren't some major differences between Taoism and Christianity and how they interpret various issues. And I think that the issue of immortality would be an example of that. Tell us about that. Very much so. I mean, one of the great driving forces and one of the great narrative sources of Taoism is this belief that it is possible in this life to achieve immortality. But in order to do that, you haven't got to free your soul from the coffin of the body, the material world, which is very much the Christian. In fact, most other religions view the soul as something that has to be freed from this physical encasement. In Taoism, you have to make that physical encasement immortal. And there are essentially two ways of doing this. One, which wasn't terribly successful, was that you would ingest things like mercury and cinnabon and marble ground down that were imperishable. And so your body eventually would turn into imperishable material. Unfortunately, if you swallow lots of mercury, and please don't do this at home, you die or you go mad and then you die, which is what happened to the first emperor of China. So quite swiftly, but not perhaps swiftly enough for some people, they moved to this notion of developing an interior body, which was a body that was growing inside your body, that when you died, this body fell apart and there was another body in it. But you cannot go into immortality without a body. And there's a wonderful story told of one of the eight immortals who are these marvellous sort of Robin Hood-type figures in Chinese folk religion. And he was an incredibly handsome young man. And he decided to become an immortal so that women could have the pleasure of seeing him for eternity. He wasn't terribly vain, just hopeful, I think. And one day he goes astral traveling, which he left his body and went traveling around the world. And in Chinese belief, you can go for seven days, but after seven days, your body is dead. It's, it can't function. And he left his disciple in charge. And on the sixth day, someone comes running to the disciple saying, your mother's dying. Please, she wants to see you now. And of course, Filial piety is more important than looking after a master. So he burns the body of his master, runs off down the hill. And the master, the aspiring immortal, returns from his seven-day trip with 10 minutes to go to get into the body. Arrives, it's just a pile of ashes. In desperation, he whizzes around this mountain where he'd been living, looking for a body, spots one in a ditch, goes, oh, thank goodness, dashes in. One minute to spare, makes it. Then he tries to get up. And he finds it incredibly difficult to get up. And when he does eventually get up, he can't straighten. And when he realises he can't straighten because his legs are crooked and he's got a hump back, and then he staggers over to a pool and looks in the pool, and he's got the most hideous deformed face. He's got into the body of a deformed beggar. But that's the body that he will now have to live in forever. And he then becomes this immortal in this crippled, disfigured body who then becomes the champion of those who are disfigured and crippled and oppressed. So Taoism is unique in world religions in that you can achieve immortality through a regime of diet and a regime also of meditation and reflection. But if you haven't got a body to continue to live in, you're not going to make it. Have you ever thought of becoming a Taoist? Uh, I've sort of been made a Taoist because I've worked with so many dads for so long. For example, in this country, on occasions, I've actually been the only person that a Chinese family could find who knew all the rituals. And so I've done Chinese funerals. I am deeply attracted by it. My Christianity is deeply shaped by it. I love its humor. I love its narrative strands. But in the end, whilst it has fed, deeply fed, my understanding of Christ... I find the Christ story that it has helped me to discover 
still is the story that I find most convincing about the paradoxes, the problems, the delights, and the confusions of this life. But without Taoism, I'm not sure I would necessarily have stayed the course with Christ. You sound like you've been joyfully liberated, if I can put it that way. <laughs> I have. And there was a wonderful moment when I discovered back in 1998 the oldest surviving church building from the early church in China, from the Tang Dynasty, from the 7th century. And when I got there, there was a Buddhist nun, very short, about four foot five, and she was 115 years old. And when I kind of went, oh, yes, yes, yes I think this is a, a Christian church, she went, what's all this about? And so I explained to her, and I thought I defended her, really thought I defended her. And she went, oh, no, well, of course. And she said, you would like to like a candle, wouldn't you? And I went, yes, I really would. She said, then light it. They will all hear you. Thank you very much, Martin Palmer, for sharing some of that wonder and some of that amazement with us today. Thank you for being our guest on Things Unseen. I'm Alison Hilliard, and you've been listening to Things Unseen, the programme for those who believe there's more to life than the material world. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.